Blog Talk Radio. from New Orleans, Louisiana, to join the conversation. It's area code 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. If you're listening live, you can always join us in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash liberalband. Sign in with your free blogtalkradio.com account, and you can join us in the, in the episode page and leave your comments and questions, et cetera, there. Hopefully, we'll have our regular cast in there in a few minutes. If you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc. on the show thread at liberaldan.com, facebook.com slash liberaldan, or at liberaldan radio on Twitter. Of course, you can always find liberaldan.com everywhere. Uh, go to liberaldan radio on TikTok, on Twitter, on YouTube and Facebook.com slash Liberal Dan as well. Follow all those places. Um, talk about a lot of stuff today, but first, this week's headlines. The Affordable Care Act was upheld yet again because the states bringing the cases didn't have standing because they couldn't prove harm. See, when they killed off the mandate to have insurance and made the fine zero, they removed whatever harm they claimed existed in the bill. The fine irony. By killing the part of the law they hated the most, they limited their, their ability to sue over the law. In other Supreme Court news, the court ruled that a teenage Snapchat story where she cursed about something at school did not give the school the ability to suspend her. Free speech won the day. In billionaire use, antivirus mogul John McAfee was found dead in a Spanish prison prior to him being okayed to be extradited on tax evasion. And then he killed himself. Imagine being a billionaire seeing the need to evade taxes, and being ultimately so upset with yourself that you have to commit suicide. If billionaires can't be happy, who can be? In moronic president news, it was reported that Donald Trump had wanted to send Americans infected with COVID-19 overseas to Gitmo. That's right. The place we held alleged terrorists without due process is the place he wanted to send American citizens who got COVID-19 outside of the country, and who were trying to get back into the country. In even less surprising news, Donald Trump told President Xi of China that he supported the concentration camps being built for the Uyghur Muslims, and that it was the, quote, exactly the right thing to do. According to the same memoir, Trump allegedly begged President Xi to buy U.S. crops in order to help him win re-election in 2020. These are several of the revelations included in the John Bolton book, The Room Where It Happened. No news on if Lin-Manuel Miranda will sue over the title. Finally, in COVID-19 news, the state of Louisiana has added itself to the list of states that are using the chance to win a million dollars in order to convince more people to pull their sleeves up and get the COVID-19 vaccine. 
Currently, the state is only including Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and Moderna. These participating, those participating in the Novavax trial are su- supposedly not being included, including myself. So if I want to see a million dollars, I'm going to have to get many more Patreons. Whether or not this will work will depend on how many more people are convinced to come out because of the lottery. And that was this week's headlines. Now, let's, let's talk about that for a bit. Um, because, you know, COVID-19, now I was listening to a, a radio show yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Um, and same show that where we get the words of redneck wisdom this week. So I was listening to the show and they were talking about numbers and there was like 160,000, maybe, maybe it was a hundred. It was either 120,000 or 160,000, somewhere around there, of people who got, who registered on the site to try and enter and win the prizes, $100,000 each week up through the end where the grand prize drawing is a million dollars. So I guess they're putting aside, I think, 1.4 million, plus there's some scholarships for, for those who got the vaccine who are like between 12 and 18 or 12 and 17, I guess, inclusively. So you have, you know, those opportunities. And the idea is that these, this will cause people who might be on the fence to try and, uh, you know, sway them. And I call our, I see that you're on the line, so I'll get to you in a second. Um, But here's the thing, and here's my concern. and, and And I think I was in, pretty much agreement uh, with the host, John. Uh, I know John in real life, um, you know, we are fellow nerds and we've uh, hung out in the same gaming stores before. Uh, I encouraged people in his district. Uh, he was running against another Republican uh, for a, uh, for a party position and for, uh, for a, a state house rep, a state rep seat, I believe. And I, I was like, look, you, you, if you want somebody with integrity who I think is going to be a good person in this election, you know, I think you should vote for him. So I, 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 I don't know if that's going to convince any conservatives. I don't know if that convinced however many. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if that convinced, excuse me, uh, many people to, to be swayed because I am liberal Dan after all. So this is a conservative district. But, um, you know, and he brought up the idea. Well, first he was talking about numbers, and he said, "Look, the the amount of people seems like a lot because you're saying 160,000, but then you compare it to the number of people in Louisiana overall, which is like four million, and then it's much less. That seems less if you're looking at it as a percent of the population, and even if you're looking at it as a." Um, whatchamacallit, if you're looking at it from the amount of people who have already been vaccinated and the people who signed up for the drawing, then it's 10% of all of the people that have already gotten a, a uh, shot in their arm have signed up. Now, granted, 10% of all those people, we started getting the vaccines, I think, in February or March or whatever it was. So uh, of the people that have already gotten vaccinated, 10% in one day seems to be a pretty high number. Um, but the problem is, is 
and, and my ultimate concern with this, and I think it's, it's, it's kind of a point where maybe I'll find some, uh, I guess, solidarity. I don't know if solidarity is the right word. I'll find some uh, agreement with some conservatives out there. Is, is, look, I, if it works and the amount of people that get vaccinated because of this expenditure of money is enough to prevent ex- other expenditures of money in, in, in exceeding, exceeding, you know, the, the amount of money they're just spending on these incentives, then it will, it will clearly have worked. Um, plus, there's the fact that you can't really put a monetary value on somebody's life. So how many lives does this say? If this, if this saves enough lives, where if, if we did do this versus if we didn't do it, fine. But it really is going to depend on how many people from this point on go get the vaccine? How many people were sitting on the fence? Like Louisiana is like 30-something percent vaccinated. Like I think 33% fully vaccinated, maybe 37% have at least gotten their first shot in their arm. So if – are you really going to convince like how, ma- how many of those people who are remaining, the 67 to 64% – of the people who have not yet been vaccinated, who could be, um, or maybe maybe it's less because you can't don't count the 12 year olds and below. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if the amount of if if, if the 34 percent or 33 if the 33 or 37 percent includes people who can't get vaccinated because of age. Um, so that that's something I guess I'll have to look up. But if uh, and caller, please press one if you do want to get on it. And in case you're just, if you're not listening, um, if you're just, if you're just on hold to listen, that's cool. But if you do want to get on the show, uh, push one. I have a feeling I might know who this is, but uh, we'll see. Because um, if you don't push one, it doesn't show up as you'd be wanting to get on the show. Um, anyway, so if it turns out that the only people, or, the, or the, like 95% of the people, or la- or more are people who are already vaccinated and you're just rewarding previous, uh, previously vaccinated people, then to me, then that could very well be deemed as a waste of money. Uh, because if, you, if you're not causing people to go do the action that you want to promote, then maybe that was a waste of money. But, plus there's the 1.4 million in prizes, I think that's the correct number. And you also have the amount of money that's being spent advertising this, you know, you know, coming up with graphics, buying the website, designing the website, doing all that other stuff, you know, and look, no one's spending money on liberal day and radio advertising this. Unfortunately, they're spending, maybe, maybe they know that anybody, most people who listen to liberal day and radio from Louisiana are going to be people who are going to be progressive, even though we do a lot of our callers that call in to the show uh, do tend to be more conservative. Uh, however, th- they are advertising on Jeff Carrere's show, um, so I'm a little amused that somebody who is so vociferously anti-vaccine, I mean, he'll say, if you want to get the vaccine, go get it, but he's not going to get it. For somebody as vociferously, vociferously as anti-vaccine uh, as Jeff is, um, I'm I'm surprised that... Uh, I'm frankly surprised uh, that he is, uh, whatchamacallit, that he is, uh, that they're choosing to 
advertise on his program because it doesn't seem to me to be something that would be um, a good return on investment. I guess put it that way. You know, how many people listening to that show are going to go get a vaccine? I don't think it's a lot of people. Anyway, let's go ahead and take our first commercial break. Uh, come back, take your calls as well. 914-803-4131. 914-803-4131. Remember, if you do want to get on the, on the line, uh, push one to make sure that uh, I know that you are just not listening and that are trying to get in. Anyway, this is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kind of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do, but BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. In a world gone mad, one progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. All right, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say, sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family, because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. And I think to myself, what a wonderful show. Mm, yeah. If you enjoy Liberal Dan Radio, there's many ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter or TikTok. And you can become a Liberal Dan Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can get a shout out. Higher levels get the opportunity to vote on what I do next on the podcast, the minicast, or on YouTube. You can even buy commercial advertising or sponsor bits. So go to patreon.liberaldan.com and support the show today. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Demonox, host of The World According to Knox. It's time for Season 2, where I take you on another trip through my world. The world of movies, video games, pop culture, and more. Relate them to the world around you. Don't forget to leave a question for Marscat and find me on Twitter by the handle xdeminox. Letter X like X-Men, D-E-M-I-N-O-S. Now enjoy the rest of your podcast.
And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. Despite that being a New York area code, I am in New Orleans, Louisiana. So um, before we get to the uh, just a quick bit that I want to do, obviously I usually do the uh, one of the two bits. Usually it's words of redneck wisdom, but I have some things to talk about after words of redneck wisdom, but I want to get to the main topic of the show first. So, But let's do hypocrite of the week first, and we'll see how that goes. This week's hypocrite of the week is Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell called the attempt to pass Senate Bill 1 a power grab. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell claims to be against power grabs, except for when the GOP does it in the several states that have passed laws meant to grab power so the GOP can have minority rule. Don't be like Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Don't be a hypocrite. To see you next week's Hypocrite of the Week will be, tune in to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. Yeah, and there you go. And I, I, I just love saying the words Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Um, so that's why I like, so whenever he's the Hypocrite of the Week, he gets it. He gets those words multiple times because he's the Senate minority leader. Anyway, so um, I think it was last show, maybe two shows ago, uh, we did, uh, I, I kind of went through a, a thread on Twitter uh, that was talking about how um, crime, uh, whatchamacallit, how crime is a social construct, you know, how if you steal a hundred bucks from your employer, you know, you'll go to jail. But if your employer steals a hundred bucks from you by not paying you, your employer's not going to jail. And how wage theft is bigger than all of the other types of theft combined. But yet we don't treat it as if it was another form of crime. And how, just to, just to briefly go over that thread, um, when we arrest somebody for murder, uh, we, we lock them up. What's up? If you kill one person, we'll lock you up. If you as uh, a head of a corporation or if you as a politician make a decision like in Flint, Michigan, to uh, that, that kills people because you poison their water, then we don't, you don't get sent to jail. So again, crime is a social construct. Crime is, you know, we have established crime in a way to put down certain people and keep certain people down, but reward others or not punish others based on who they are. And I found this other thread. A friend of mine shared it on, on Facebook. It's on liberal Dan doc. It's on facebook.com slash liberal Dan as well. But I did want to go as uh, Michael Harriet on uh, Twitter. Um, and he, and so this is not, these are not my words, but this is, this is so important that I felt it needs to, it needs to be reiterated. And I want to give him credit at Michael Harriet on Twitter. Um, one of the most popular misconceptions, and I'm, I'll do some editorializing in the middle, but you'll get the point. One of the most popular misconceptions about black history is that over time, America has gradually become less racist and more tolerant. This is not true. Uh, so he, he goes, since y'all want a BHM thread, here's a thread about the evolution of racism in America. Um, and of course, evolution is not necessarily a good thing in all cases. Clearly, this one is not. Uh, first, he says, let's dispel a few wrong beliefs. Uh, the first enslaved Africans did not arrive in 1619. 
And when I first read this, I was like, is he trying to, you know, put down the 1619 project? But I quickly learned no. They were just the first to arrive in the English colonies. A century earlier, in 1526, 600 Europeans founded the colony of San Miguel del Guadalupe, which is now Georgetown, South Carolina. They brought enslaved Africans along with them, too. But those slaves revolted damn near as soon as they arrived. As a native of South Carolina whose family still lives in the old G-Town, I can attest to the fact that Georgetown uh, are N-A-K-E-R-S. I'm not exactly sure what's being said there, and I don't want to misspeak or say something that I showed it. So if it's slang for something. So I'm just going to say the people in Georgetown uh, are known for the shortage of fucks they're willing to give. Um, That's right. The first slave rebellion predates the Mayflower. Still, we must dispel another notion that American slavery was like British slavery. Not quite. America's race-based slavery was different. Uh, First of all, Great Britain never codified slavery into its laws. While it was never illegal, it was never ensconced into the Constitution like the land of the free and the home of the brave, in quotes. Secondly, British slave trade wasn't exclusively race-based like America's. The British had enslaved people of every color, including buying slaves from the Barbary pirates who enslaved people from Europe, the Middle East, Northern Africa, and even Asia. When the 20 and odd uh, Negroes arrived in America, there were some indentured servants here already, but the twice (coughs) stolen Africans who came here, they couldn't read, write, or speak the language. So instead of treating them like indentured service, Servants who were providing free labor, uh, these white Virginians changed the game. The Africans didn't get a contractual period of servitude. These brand, these new brand of white people were like, freedom? Oh, we don't do that over here. Then in 1640, an enslaved African ran away along with two European indentured servants. A Virginia court sentenced them to 30 lashes and extended the white dude's period of servitude by one year. But the black guy got a different sentence. And that the third being a Negro named John Punch shall serve his said master or his assigns for the time of his natural life here or elsewhere. Remember, there were still more indentured white servants than enslaved black people. In 1642, it got worse, not better. The Virginia legislature declared that the children of enslaved black women would also be enslaved. Uh, The ones in South Carolina made it even worse. In 1739, a group of enslaved Congo soldiers formed their own army and started marching. That, That needs to be a movie if it's not already. As they marched, other enslaved Africans joined in. Led by a literate black man named Jemmy, They burned six plantations and killed two dozen white people. The Stono Rebellion scared so many white white South Carolinians, they passed the Negro Act of 1740. It forbade slaves from gathering in one place, growing food, or learning to read. States across the South began passing similar laws. While outlawing reading and writing was significant, these laws had another provision. They required communities to patrol for one runaway slaves. South Carolina had already created one of the nation's first in the 
slave blah, 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 excuse me south carolina had already created one of the nation's first in the first slave patrols in 1704 but this time they made it mandatory in 1757 georgia followed suit in 1792 georgia even prohibited slaves from worshiping god these slave patrols were the base of the state militias that fought in the revolution after america won the revolutionary war he goes i'm sure slavery got better right as one well-known state senator from the great state of Maryland once said, she is. That's, 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 he, he has a couple of extra E's in front of the IT. Uh, first, the states enshrined slavery in the Constitution. Many people point to the three-fifths clause and forget about the first restriction that the Constitution placed on Congress. Was Article 1, Section 9 was, we're going to keep this slave trade thing going for at least 20 more years. This might not seem like a long time for you, but when the Constitution was ratified, the average life expectancy in the United States was 38 years old. And if you notice, the Constitution didn't specifically mention the word slavery or slave. That's because the founders knew it was an evil institution. They knew it would eventually end. They just wanted to preserve it for them. Uh, so, so let's pause for a minute. Whenever we talk about black history in early America, we mentioned slavery. Some people will argue that America wasn't a white supremacist country. They'll even argue that slavery was, quote, a natural evil. That should mean that free black citizens had the same rights as regular citizens, right? As he says, hold up, let me stop laughing. This is the exact history that I'm talking about. The first free black people in the United States had all the rights and privileges that were afforded everywhere else. These were places, these were places allowed they, these were places allowed black owners to vote. When the de by the Declaration of Independence, only white landowners could vote. Then the Constitution allowed states to choose, and most states allowed white landowners who owned a certain amount of property, but some, including New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey, allowed free black property owners to vote. Then those states took that right away. So they first allowed them to vote, and then they disallowed them from voting. The 19, 1790 Naturalization Act limited citizenship to, quote, any free white person of good character. By the time the Civil War rolled around, any white man could vote. As he says, show me where white supremacy ever decreased. Seems as if white supremacy was increasing, not decreasing during that time. That's my editorialization right there. At the end of the Civil War, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery, and I, let me jump in here for a second. The 13th Amendment didn't, didn't abolish all slavery. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery except for enslaving people who are incarcerated, which creates a whole other ball of wax, if you will. The 14th granted black people citizenship, and the 15th guaranteed them the right to vote. A lot of people believe that this is when Jim Crow began. Those people are wrong, according to Gull Harriet. After the Civil War, black people freely registered to vote en masse. Voter registration was more than 90% in some states, especially in southern states like Mississippi, where black people outnumbered white people. Now that slavery wasn't a thing, how could the racists control these black people? Well, they formed terrorist cells and started killing black people. If you've ever read my description of Reconstruction, 
you know I don't portray the massive black lynchings as separate events. It was an organized race war. Again, my own editorialization, you don't see any arguments from me. Uh, Which brings us to one of my favorite but lesser known episodes in black history. You must remember that the racist traitors who declared they'd rather own slaves than be American were not yet Americans. One of the provisions of Georgia being readmitted to the Union was that former Confederates could not vote or hold office. Well, who else was left in Georgia? In 1868, 30 black men were elected to the Georgia House. Another three were elected to the state Senate. Rufus Bullock, a white man, was elected governor. You know, white people were mad. In fact, they got so mad that a burgeoning terrorist group came down to help. And obviously those people were the KKK, the Klansmen. This may or may not be the genesis of the song Devil Went Down to Georgia. In 1868, the KKK and white supremacists in Georgia removed the original 33 from office. They literally overthrew the government, and for good measure, they started killing them. One quarter of the original 33 were killed, and when black people protested, the KKK killed them too. When black people converged in Camilla, Georgia to protest, the whites in Mitchell County stationed in hiding places opened fire, killing dozens. That was just a small taste. In 1868, white terrorists in Georgia murdered so many black people that the entire state was kicked back out of the Union. The Georgia Supreme Court ruled in 1869, there is no existing law of this state which confers the rights upon the colored citizens thereof to hold office. Supreme Court, one of my favorites, and I'm obviously being sarcastic there, one of my favorite quotes about this reign of terror is that the Governor Bullock was obliged by the Ku Klux Klan to resign his governorship and in his discerning contemplation felt it was wise to leave the state. As Michael Harris says, that's gangster terrorist shit right there. But this didn't just happen in Georgia. The terrorist violent overthrow of the government happened throughout the South. It was the evolution of white supremacy. Death and terror might be the only thing worse than slavery. Georgia was finally readmitted readmitted back into the Union in 1870. In 1871, Congress passed the Third Enforcement Act, a.k.a. the KKK Act, which allowed the president to suspend habeas corpus to fight the Klan. Habeas corpus, if you don't know, is the right to not be detained without being charged. Nowadays, they only do with the black people. Again, this is not to recount the horrors. This is to show you that white supremacy has never decreased. It only morphs. The Enforcement Act didn't really work, though. But in 1876, uh, the presidential election in 1876, Southerners killed so many people and suppressed so many votes. Congress was like, look, we'll remove troops from the South, invest in railroads, and let y'all do whatever you want to do, black people, if y'all let this presidential vote stand. It was called the Compromise of 1877, but most people know it as the birth of Jim Crow. This is when the South began passing segregation laws. 
This is when separate but equal became accepted. White supremacy did not decrease. It evolved. After black, and then, then we're fast forwarding a little bit. After black soldiers came back from World War I, the fear of black equality returned. To be fair, uh, black people were doing disrespectful shit like looking white people in the eyes. Uh, as, as he says, seriously, there are court records acquitting white people after they gave that explanation. Is this like, this is their version of trans panic. Like people will say, well, a trans person hit on me and I couldn't handle it, so I murdered them. And, and some states were like, whoa, okay, that sounds good. So I guess this is black panic. A black person looked at you in the eyes and that made, you know, you know, that just terrified the person apparently. Uh, the Red Summer of 1919 was a new wave of terrorist lynchings uh, that might be worse. Then, after Congress addressed lynching, there was a second round of voter disenfranchisement using poll taxes, literary tests, and night raids. As he says again, white supremacy did not decrease. It just changed with the times. Then came redlining which barred banks from giving government-backed loans to black borrowers. This would lay the foundation for educational disparities for another 75 years. Now that it's kind of illegal to lynch, deny education, and steal our vote, how did white supremacy morph? Fast forward way the hell up to 2018. It became voter suppression. In Georgia's 2018 midterms, 127,000 votes disappeared into thin air. But curiously, no one can explain why it happened only in majority black precincts. It never made the news. This, this, is not, this is not the people that Kemp took off the voter rolls as Secretary of State while running for governor, while running against Stacey Abrams. This is me adding my, some more editorialization here. This is, this is something completely different. This is just votes disappearing into thin air. But nobody, nobody talks about that. Black voters are disproportionately purged from voter rolls, affected by voter ID laws, and denied the right to vote by felony convictions. Most of that, if you want more evidence of that, go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash liberaldanradio. You'll see my GOP coup, GOP coup playlist where I discuss and have four videos so far talking about how the GOP has tried to perform a coup and re- remain a uh, minority party in power, try to retain power as a minority party. <clears throat> and so there's more information about that there. So why are black schools underfunded? The red areas in those red lighting maps uh, from the 40s are still pretty black. If you compare them to where police patrol, where schools are underfunded, or even where the worst drugs are sold, you'll find that little has changed. But we still fund schools by neighborhood wealth. And these slave patrols eventually evolved into municipal police forces. It is the evolution of white supremacy. It is the same destination. I don't worry about slave patrols, but my heart still speeds up when I see the police. And if you think that he uh, is over-exaggerating, think about this. According to the Haynes report on lynching between 1889 and 1919, a little fewer than 80 black people were lynched on average every year. In 1868, 
the Freedmen's Bureau counted 147 cases of murder uh, by the KKK, that uh, that out-of-control Georgia lynch mob. In 2019, police killed 259 black people. Now, I'm not saying it's worse for black people now than it was during slavery or Jim Crow. I'm not saying they're using the same tactics. All, I'm, all, all he's saying is, don't think they stopped trying. All right, is that the last one? That might be the last. Oh, no. Nope, I think that was the last one. Yep, that was the last one. That's, that, was, that was the thread, Michael, at Michael Harriet on Twitter. Um, and so a lot of the stuff I did know, but a lot of the stuff I didn't know either. I didn't realize, you know, some of the earlier stuff that took place. I didn't even some of the, there is stuff in our history. And this, this is why it's important that we need to learn these things in school that we don't learn in school. I mean, we learn about slavery. We learn about certain things, but we don't learn enough to show just how bad it was. And it is still is. It was a Chris Rock routine uh, where he says, ask an average white person um, if, you know, you would trade places with him or that person would trade places with him and they would say no. And he's rich, which is, you know, it's funny. It's a funny point, but it's a true point. A lot of humor is based in truth. It's based in reality that white people know that, I think <clears throat> what's her name? I always forget her name. The 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 woman who did the thing on Oprah where she was discriminating against people with different hair color or eye color or something like that. And I see that she raised her hand, so I'll get you in a second. Um, but again, you know, most white people are not given to say, "Hey, would you want to switch places with that black person?" No, because most white people know that black people are not treated well in this country yet meant too few of us are willing to do anything. Now, I've done a show, you know, I've done a podcast, and for the last, what, maybe 20 minutes or so, I've been reading somebody else's tweets. Why is that? Is, is that because I'm, I'm not creative? I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, I can't think for myself, as some conservatives might say, uh, no. Uh, it's because that I feel it's important that I use whatever privilege that I have to amplify the voices of people who are not yet being heard. So it's not my job to, to really make, make my own mind up, but I can use my privilege to amplify the voices of others to help them and help, and help spread awareness of what the hell is going on here. Meanwhile, you have conservatives. You know, Donald Trump wanted to do like a, the 1776 commission where he wanted to indoctrinate you know kids and re-educate them into learning only about the greatness that is america and just and not wanting to learn about its flaws but history ignored and forgotten tends to repeat itself so we do have the caller our caller did want to jump on the line somebody else who is a fellow blog talk radio podcaster and a fellow new orleanian so thank you for calling in uh um what, what point would you like to make uh, greetings. I, uh, my name is Brother Warren. That's my uh, radio show host name. Uh, my show is New Orleans Wake Up. And so I was uh, saw your show and saw the title and I said, well, this is going to be an interesting 
uh, a program that I, I listened to. I didn't want to cover these three things. My, my concern is uh, the propaganda that uh, the people who call themselves conservatives are on the right are waging. Now, it's not that it's anything new, but I'm concerned that the younger generation, particularly of African-American youth, uh, are able to be directed on a path to proper information because as black people in the United States become more and more assimilated, quote-unquote, with white people, uh, black people lose a core essence of their being that existed to resist. And I am concerned that too many more African-American youth will be identifying with values and experiences that white people articulate, whether they're on the right or whether they're on the left. Now, when you look at the fact that ever since even when Carter G. Wilson started Negro History Week back in 1926, most black people who know things about themselves, their history, their contribution, does not come out of the public school system at all. We need to continue that trend of not having to rely on uh, a public infrastructure to learn about ourselves. We, that, that, that should always be intimate. That should be intimate. We should always learn about ourselves from our family members, from our social, fraternal organizations that we have established. And then whatever is taught in school, we teach our kids to just take the test to pass because we're going to be having this kind of back and forth for a very long time. And so that, that's, that's the uh, first point. The second point is critical race theory, which I don't know much about, but I will say this. We have to be careful as at least I'm, I'm speaking as a, I'm speaking as an African-American myself because my show addressed those issues, black people worldwide in the United States. We've had black scholars forever who have analyzed our situation. They should be at the top of the list to be referred to to get an understanding of the black experience. Now, these other scholars, whites, Marxists, socialists, conservatives, capitalists, whoever they may be, then they should be put as secondary for reference. Too often, people take stuff that black people have created to defend themselves, and they rework it as if it's something new. And so that 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 that's another issue there, that uh, black people have to really be in tune into their own history, their own scholars, their own writers, their own thinkers. And that should be at the center of our uh, uh, focus in terms for to develop a solution to address our our issues. And so we must be focused. Now, liberal conservative, I have voted for several decades. I voted as a Democrat because as a black person, we know that the Democratic Party has given attention to issues facing black people, starting from at least we can go 
the Civil Rights Bill, the Voting Rights Act, uh, you know, addressing working class issues going back to Roosevelt. But I am not trapped into a closet because white liberals have proven to be just as racist as white conservatives. The only difference is they pretend like they're our big brothers and camp leaders and we have to follow them. And then we never are allowed to break on our own. So we have to not be aligned to these definitions. I'm also concerned whether or not uh, in the liberal camp that they're preoccupied with giving black people symbolic stuff, naming right. schools, naming streets, giving us a Juneteenth. But the substance that we fought and died for, voting rights protection and so on and so forth, a police reform bill, those things some kind of way at this point are not going forward. But we're being given a whole lot of candy to jump up and down and celebrate. I don't see any Congressional Black Caucus member taking a divergent stance from that, telling the people, say, look, we need to focus on the things of substance that we've always fought and died for uh, to make our freedoms protected. And so those, those things really, really concern me. I think the young people uh, are, are to be admired for their work and for their participation and being vocal about police killings. But I'm concerned that too many of the younger blacks in particular are kind of captured and captivated by a somewhat reworking of the youth of the 1960s and 70s who, who were persecuted and who many are still in jail today. And that the system takes that and kind of take the sting out of it. And then our young people pick up on the, uh, the hair movement, the T-shirts, the power fists, and not really understand really, really what they're up against. And so as I be quiet to continue to listen to you, I'm concerned that that both the conservatives and the liberals, camps of white people, are playing good cop, bad cop with black people, where we remain boxed in and we our feelings are played with, and at the end of the day, we still back in the street yelling no justice, no peace. 10, 15 years from now. Somebody has to, somebody who is a vocal person in the liberal camp, the liberal democratic establishment, establishment must stand and speak to these issues uh, so that black people can decide whether, black people in larger numbers more than ever before can decide whether they want to continue to seek protection under any of these these white political ideologies. I myself identify as an American citizen who's a pan-Africanist. That is an American citizen whose primary concern is the welfare and interest of people of African descent, not only in the United States, but worldwide. And so I think that that's where black people need to be. Thank you so much. Oh, I mean, thank you for calling me. You know, I wanted to give you as much time to to talk about, you know, because I can't speak for you. I can't know your experiences. I'm a white guy. I can't, 
I can't possibly, you know, know what it's like to be a black person in this country. I can only listen and learn and, again, amplify uh, when possible. Um, I do think we do have an issue, you know, when it comes to, you know, yeah, I agree with you on the whole, you know, Juneteenth is, is good candy. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, not, it's not bad candy. It's good candy, but it's still candy, as you've described yeah. it. It's, I think it's a great way to put it. You know, it, it might have that sweet flavor in it, but at the end of the day, it, it's, it's empty calories if, if nothing else comes along with it. Um, you know, we need to implement, you know, police reform. We need to implement voting rights protections. And unfortunately, one of the things that I find to be unfortunate is what, what how the Republicans sometimes can spin these things is that, is, is that, you know, the Democrats can't do it because they don't have enough votes to, to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they technically do, but that's because Joe Manchin is basically a Republican as a de- posing as a Democrat. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but at the end of the day, the Republicans were like, look, the Democrats failed to do what they wanted to do for you. See how they fail you? And then, mm-hmm. and then the Democrats were like, but y'all are the ones that stopped it. So it, it, but we can't – we also, as – you know, I, I, I can't necessarily speak as a, somebody in the Democratic Party. You know, I'm, I'm not in any position currently. I'm just me. Right. Um, right, 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 right. But, but we uh, – you know – we have to we, – we can't always just make that the excuse. We have to figure out ways. We can't just always rely on black voters, you know, black voters, especially I think black women voters turned out amazingly in, in Georgia. We can't just rely on those voters and then not turn around and, and finish the job. We have – the job needs to get finished. I don't know. And that, that prob- that's probably going to happen if we move – if we, we need to move Congress to the left, in my opinion, we move, we need to get people in there replacing, replacing those, you know, both the, you know, moderates with more liberal folks, replacing entrenched liberal folks with more progressive folks, um, replacing, you know, white folks as persons of color uh, and putting in people who are going to not take voters for granted when we rely on those voters to win. Um, and specifically referring to uh, black voters, uh, because we owe we we owe more than I think what we could ever give. I mean, I'm I'm a proponent of reparations, not just for uh, African dependents of slavery, but for all of the stolen opportunity that has been uh, taken from you know stolen, not just stolen wealth, but stolen wealth opportunities for for centuries. Um, that that needs to be you know made up. I support you know there, there's so much more that needs to be done, um, and unfortunately we have a minority party in in the fact that they 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 are a minority of the voters yet they've managed to manipulate the system in such a way to maintain control, um, which is. So, so here's you know. the thing. Here's the thing that your analysis and many analysis like that miss out. These parties are employees of the corporate elite in this country. And so anything that gets in the way of the belief of the corporate elite, corporate elite profit by any means, then those persons 
who represent either party won't be supported for their campaign. Big money is very much invested in the electoral establishment in the United States. And so whether we look at Joe Biden or Kamala Harris and their maneuvers, I was looking at a uh, – somebody had something on Facebook, and they were just showing Kamala Harris's comments during the campaign about the crisis on the border and about uh, migrants coming over, and she was adamant, we're not going to send you back. We're gonna, I, and then all of a sudden in the video it says, okay, now what happens? And then it shows what she's been saying lately. Totally different, totally different human being, a total, the same human being, but a total different response to the same crisis that's been going on. And the voters have to understand that politicians are employees of big money. Now, we have this thing about you work for the voters. We say that we're the taxpayers and all of that. But in in actual practical reality, the people that put money in people's campaign coffers, they have the loudest megaphone in the ear of that politician. And so all of these people, whatever actions and decisions they take will be done in the interest of the corporate elite. And I think that needs to be hammered. I think the American people would get a better, clear understanding and possibly develop a strategy on where to expend our energy to push for change. And you might be looking at a lot of these corporate entities. You might want to say you want to boycott. You might not want to support, et cetera. The average American voter does not know the extent to which big money, both locally and nationally, play on elections. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, just dark money in of itself, you know, money that that you know they've made the rules so that you can, you know, um, was it Citizens United was the one that basically said, hey, yeah, corporations are people too, they get free speech, and that was a bunch of bull. Um, and then you have, you know, yeah, you you have people that are beholden uh, to uh, you know to the corporate interest, and a lot of times, you know, I think a lot of younger voters are. Um, concerned with the fact that we have too many people on both sides uh, beholden to corporate interests and not uh, beholden to the voters. And that does, and it's a very important point to, to make. Um, and it, it, you're right. It, it needs to not be forgotten. Um, and we just need, we need um, people to be able to, you know, come together and it's, it's going to cause, you know, we, we we need we need action we need we need more of the people who can't be uh, swayed by those corporate interests to run. Unfortunately, um, sometimes when people uh, sometimes when people uh, try and do the right thing and try and run for the right reasons, uh, the voters often will will look at those people. And I speak from experience in this. Because uh, I ran for I ran for Congress in 2004, I wasn't very well funded at all. I, I didn't have any funding whatsoever. Um, but the, the the media, which you know, which is ridiculous, they 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 first of all, the the Times Picayune down here reported me in the paper as a Republican. I I know I lost votes on that. One person told me I didn't vote for you because you were listed as a Republican. I'm like, well, did you see my name in the on the poll? The Times Picayune was wrong. 
I was I'm a, I was re- not registered as a Republican, so that they, they don't get, but they don't they won't cover any candidate who is not well funded enough to be able to right. buy their right. advertising. Uh, right. So 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 it requires there's some responsibility on the on behalf of the voters to look, to go out and educate themselves. You know, in in the age of I've, I've said this for a while on my podcast in the age of the internet. We should not have to have multimillion-dollar campaigns to run for office. You should you should need a website, you know, online some online presence, and the ability, willingness to go around and talk to the people, and put put your campaign platforms out there and let the voters make. And, and as voters, we should be making our decisions based off of who the people who who is going to best represent us, and not who the well-funded is. Um, and and, if the, and so some of that responsibility, yes, there are there are definitely scumbags in Washington and in, and in state and local politicians that are completely you know beholden to corporate interests. I remember when I was on, uh, I was lived in the city of Kenner for a little bit, and I was chosen to be. I advocated for a charter committee to be made in the, in the city council because uh, when they amended the charter. They, they worded it badly, and we needed to make changes in order for it to not be vague. So I was, able to, I was able to ask one of the council people to put me on that charter committee as well. And, the whole con- and I was pr- proposing a, a change to the Kenner Charter that would have uh, made it so that uh, you, you can't bid for projects or you can't, you can't get a professional service contract with the city, a professional service contract in Kenner does not require a bid. You can't get a professional service contract if you make campaign contributions to uh, to the to the mayor or whoever will be awarding those contracts. Because um, that was that was one of my things that could have been done to clean up the city of Kenner a little bit. And the person who was representing one of the council people um, on that on that on, on the dais or whatever said. Well, if the mayor can't give out professional service contracts, how how is he supposed to pay back his campaign contributors? I'm like, did you just say that out loud? Like, that's the point. We shouldn't be allowing the people in power to use their positions to reward their campaign co- contributors. Yeah. So, yeah. so we have it's it's clearly an issue that that yeah. needs to be yeah. handled and needs to be taken care of. But unfortunately, yeah. I don't know if there's there, we it requires enough people to be able to say, I don't care that the media is saying that these people are well-funded. I don't care how well-funded they are. This person has the right motives. This person has the right thing. Like when I, a lot of times when I remember when, um, when, um, whatchamacallit, uh, it was, it was, um, oh, and I can't remember. I'm having a bad time remembering names today. Um, it was when Bill Jefferson was running for re-election when he was also kind of being looked at as being almost under indictment as well. Yeah, and Joseph, right. Joseph, Joseph Gao uh, was the Republican uh, who was uh, running for that. And then there was a Green Party candidate who ran. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget it. Oh, I forget his name, and it's driving me nuts. Because um, I voted for the Green Party candidate. Why? Because he was, he was actually a convicted felon. But he worked in inside of prison and outside of prison to help 
people who are leaving the prison system get acclimated to society, get better jobs, and, and not have higher cases of recidivism. Like, this is a person who's done right. This is the, per- that's the type of person that we need in Congress. Of course, we ended up, the, the two people who ended up, you know, being the choice of those two was either Bill Jefferson or Joseph Gow, and ultimately Joseph Gow won. Um, but again, we, we, we need more people who are willing to step up and say, I'm going to vote for the person who is the right person for the job, not the most well, not the right person of the most well-funded. And that's right, until right, we have right. enough voters willing to do that. Um, right. I'm concerned that you're, that, that are both of our valid concerns over the, the influence that corporations have in politics are going to continue to be problems because they're, they're, the voters are going to, by allowing themselves to be manipulated by how much funding each candidate has and, and by people not being considered serious candidates just because they don't have the same amount of funding. We're, we're, right. we're never yeah. going to see, we're never going to see a change unless, unless the voters reject that line, that point of view. And it's important that we, we fight that, but it's, it's, it's a responsibility of the voters to actually pull that trigger, if you will. You know, voters, uh, unfortunately, many voters vote the way they are persuaded by what type of uh, products they're going to buy. So however the, the commercial or the advertisement of a product is done or however it becomes fashionable to wear this type of shoes or jeans, that's, people take that same approach to campaigning. So if a candidate who has so much money is using various medium to get their message across about who they are, as opposed to another person, people tend to go that route as opposed to actually doing research on the, the person. And so, but it, it just speaks to the fact that, uh, you know, we're, it's very bad right now politically in the United States. I don't think I've seen it like this uh, in a very, very long time. It's really at the point right now that is working towards a, a couple of more violent acts like the Capitol riot. Right. And the side of the people who call themselves conservative Republicans, it seems like what Donald Trump has done, he's walking, he's awoken a certain constituency based off certain type of dog whistles. And they're saying, we're not going to go back. We're not going back to the way it was. And so they're pushing. And the Capitol riot uh, insurrection uh, might just be uh, a little Boy Scout action compared to other things that may happen. Because I don't see anything, I don't, I don't see anything anybody's backing off. And the conservative Republicans are embracing a actual 21st century form of segregationism, Jim Crowism. Yep. In a 21st century form, in the 21st century era, with all the inclusiveness of other groups, you know, even some black people are in that conservative Republican form, you know, but nonetheless, it's it's pushing back against an actual accurate depiction of events in American history, and it's embracing a very racist, extreme form of character. And that will embolden more and more everyday Archie Bunkers all across America to commit violent acts against people 
who are not like them. That's what I, I see. And I see, and what I also see, too, as politicians, when these type of capital insurrection copycats continue to happen, the politicians, notice how Lindsey Graham say one thing one day, then later the night he'll say something different. And all of these people are flip-flopping. All of these people, you know, are saying this. That, oh, well, we didn't say the elections weren't valid. Well, we're just saying it's this, and then they come back. And it's just really, really bad. It's really a bad, bad team right now. Right. I mean, and look, I've on one of the shows I listen to. The I don't, are you familiar with Jeff Carrere's show in the morning? Because sometimes I'll listen and call I, in about. Yeah, one. I I don't, I don't listen to him, but I'm I'm familiar with, with him. Yeah. All right. Yes, yeah, so I'll call it. He'll have, he has a guest on every Thursday morning um, at about the ten o'clock hour. And this guy called Josh Bernstein, and this Josh Bernstein guy has pretty much literally said that if the if the results of these sham you know recounts or audits don't go their way that he pretty much said that that the, that if if he has to, if if there needs to be a revolution that there's going to be a revolution he he basically and I called him out on it I said look are you basically saying that you're willing to use violence if you if you don't get your way politically and he pretty much said yeah that's not off the, that he pretty much admitted that he was more than willing to do that so like these people are are ready and willing and wanting to commit acts of violence and and i'm 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 definitely concerned that january 16th was just the appetizer to what might be their main course that they want to serve up and yeah 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 and look i'm gonna listen because i'm gonna prepare some food and if i have another because i'm gonna put it on the computer i'm listening to you by by computer and if i have another question i'll just call in and press the one all right, sounds good. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take my next commercial break um, and also continue to take your calls, 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Greetings. This is Nimbus Yosh, host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life talking about all kinds of things. Political things, nerdy things, fun things, not so fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear and no one else will <laughs> catch you on the tune do you want to set money aside for a rainy day do you want to open an account that will give you a savings bonus each month what if i told you that you can get both and have a chance to win 10 million dollars yada is an fdic insured bank and when you go to yada.liberaldan.com open an account and make your first deposit you will get 100 entries into the next weekly drawing. You will also get entries each week you have a balance. So go to yada.liberaldan.com. 
That's Y-O-T-T-A dot LiberalDan dot com. This is Amber Petrovich, a.k.a. Just Capital, talking investing in finance in the Just Capital Minute. Don't let FOMO or jealousy of someone else's returns make you do something irrational that will wreck your portfolio. Real wealth is created over decades, not days. Building wealth takes a disciplined, consistent approach. The problem is that social media has made, or at least created the appearance of, instant millionaires, and of course that creates instant FOMO among the masses. But unfortunately, FOMO is not and never will be the basis of a sound investment. So while you can certainly profit off momentum stocks with deliberate and strategic buys and sells, it's easy to fall into a trap of chasing stocks that recently had huge gains or losses. Before you hit buy, take a moment to consider your strategy for that stock, both if it goes to the moon or to zero. Know when you go in exactly why you're buying something and what your plan is with it. And keep your eyes on the long-term prize, which for most of us is early and comfortable retirement. This has been the Just Capital Minute, build wealth and fight the wealth gap. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. Again, to reach the show, it's 914-803-4131. Again, do want to give a shout-out to the first Liberal Dan Radio Patreon, uh, ex-Demonox. Also want to give a shout-out to Cesar, uh, my good friend out in California, for also supporting the show. Um, And again, also a uh, big shout-out to the host of the Most Nimbus Yosh with the Percy Podcast. and give his show. He he's has been struggling, I guess, a bit uh, to put out more content, I guess, because of the fact that he was dealing with COVID. So uh, and, and his breath, his ability to just I guess talk uh, long-winded in a long-winded way uh, is not as good as it used to be, so to speak. So um, I did want to talk, you know, did want to do uh, change gears a little bit for the last part of the show. Uh, And it's going to start off with words of redneck wisdom. So without further ado. And now, words of redneck wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. John, I'm going to bring something up. Uh, You seem like you touched on Texas, I think, yesterday. And this might be a question for your legal show on Saturday, but I'm going to bring it up to you now because I think it's pertinent to what's going on in our country. Right now, Texas is talking about protecting its borders. Right now. Uh, There was a discussion on Jeff Kerr's show, and he had a guest named Josh Bernstein on there, and he was discussing, uh, uh, debating with a caller, that goes under the title of Liberal Dan, who has control of the border. Now, I know you practice law, and I don't believe it's constitutional law, but uh, whether you can talk about it now or on Saturday, I'm wondering who has the right. If the, if the federal government decides to, to let all these people in at the border, does the state have a right to say no? I mean, do you know anything about constitutional law? And this concludes Words of Redneck Wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right.
And there you have it. So uh, it may, may sound a little bit different than most of my words of right now. I mean, it wasn't really saying anything controversial. It's more asking a question. But I just like the fact that, you know, on a random show on WGSO that somebody called me out. <laughs> and, hey, Liberal Dan said this. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm amused. I'm, I, I don't always listen to Jeff's show in the morning. I don't always listen to John's show in the afternoon. Uh, so I'm wondering how many times I get called out on their shows, and I don't even hear it, uh, which is uh, which is interesting. So, um, but but here's here's the thing that that, that I one of the reasons I did want to bring this topic up and bring this up again because I, I think I did briefly discuss it. Uh, last week, maybe more than briefly last week, I discussed that. I don't know. Uh, it's been a week, and I've had lots of things happening. So, um, including, uh, got a new fridge delivered, and the fridge doesn't work. It, it's brand new, and it's already given me a freezer fan error. So, fun. Uh, anyway, uh, so one of the things that I just don't understand about uh, conservatives they so claim to love the Constitution. They love the Constitution. Uh, but yet, but yet, they, they don't understand it or read it. Like there was a, there was a call in. Do I have this audio? I don't even know if I have this audio. But it was a time when I, I called in and I was talking about the Second Amendment. And I, and I said, you know, sometimes uh, you know, maybe liberals don't pay attention to the last five words of the Second Amendment, but conservatives don't understand, pay, pay no heed to the first five words, the first four words of the Second Amendment, i.e. a well-regulated militia. And this person, who I think actually turned out to marry the host at some point recently, um, she... She was like, there's no, the word regulated isn't in the Second Amendment. And I just laughed. I laughed so, it was a good laugh that I had that day because I just was so amused at the fact that she didn't even, that she was, and that you could even hear Jeff, the conservative host in the background, kind of chuckle as well because he knew that why I was laughing because he knew that you and he had corrected. He was like, well, the first, the second amendment does say a well-regulated militia. And she was like, well, this is always what liberals do. They want to play gotcha moments or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, what we always, we always do say the truth, correct. Have a correct understanding of the constitution. Is this, that's what all liberals quote always do. So. Inconceivable. Yeah. So. Um, I, I I wish I could find it. I, I, I guess I never saved it. I should have saved it and kept it as one of my top played uh, videos or, or audio. Um, but anyway, so yeah, they don't know the Second Amendment. They don't know. They always talk about so-called states' rights, but there's no such thing as states' rights. States have powers. People have rights. Um, now maybe corporations are people under current jurisprudence, and as such. Uh, maybe corporations have rights, but states don't have rights. Specifically, the Tenth Amendment states nothing about rights, about powers. And when I tell a conservative, states don't have rights, there's no such thing as states' rights, uh, they'll say, but what about the Tenth Amendment? What about it? Go read me the Tenth Amendment. Find me the word right. 
in the Tenth Amendment. It doesn't talk about rights. It talks about powers. And rights and powers should be two different things. Uh, and as a, that somebody who's a conservative who claims to love the Constitution, loves freedom, supposedly, they don't really love freedom, but they claim to love freedom. But lo and behold, they, they, they are willing to conflate a right and a power. They're willing to press this thing as a right to a state. States are constrained, I would say, from violating the rights. The state and the federal government should be required to prove why it has the power under the Constitution to prohibit actions and not the other way around. But Article 1, Section 8. So, so anyway, so I, so I made the argument that the federal government, and I made this argument to Josh Bernstein, I made this argument to Jeff Carrere, I made this argument, I think, last week on my show, that, that Abbott, Governor Abbott of Texas, is violating the Constitution by trying to build a border wall between Mexico and the United States on the Texas border because it is not something that is retained, a power that is retained via the Tenth Amendment. So any power, again, Tenth Amendment says any power that's either given unless the power is given to the federal government or the power is specifically restricted from the states by the Constitution, then those are the powers that the states have. So if it's given to the federal government, it's not a state power. If it's restricted from the states, it is not a state power. However, if those two aren't, aren't correct, then guess what? Aren't met, then it's a state power. So uh, Section 8. Uh, to regulate foreign commerce with foreign nations, uh, to establish uniform rule of naturalization. Um, so basically, the, the power of the, the ability to establish uniform rule of naturalization is what we're focusing on here. So basically, how to come into the country and commerce with foreign nations, regulate commerce. Coming in, state of Texas does not have the ability to regulate commerce with foreign nations. The state of Texas does not have the ability to to change naturalization rules, to prevent people from crossing the border. The, the international borders, the borders between us and other nations, are the responsibility of the federal government under the Constitution. And because it is, given, it is a power given to the federal government by the Constitution, it is not a power that is retained by the state. So therefore, Texas. So this is, this is why I, I felt the need to bring this up, not just because of the fact that I was randomly called out on the show. And I was on a hold at the time waiting to talk about something else. Uh, however, the, uh, I was, was just amused at the fact that, A, that I understand the document that they, that they claim to love, that they like to use. I think, uh, I think, I think Abbott was last week's hypocrite of the week. And as such, uh, and I said that he uh, likes to uh, he likes to use the Constitution as two ply, uh, because clearly they don't use it for the reasons that it should be used for. Anyway, let's see the the migration or let's see what's section nine the migration or importation of such persons as any states not existing shall think proper to admit shall be prohibited shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1,888, but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding $10 for each person. Again, this is what, <coughs> excuse me, this is what the tweets were talking about when they said that they kept, uh, 
1,808, which is 20 years. That's the 20 years that uh, the tweets that, that I read earlier in the show, that's what he was talking about. So basically, uh, states were allowed to admit people <coughs> until 1,808. So that's it. So until 1808, you can do it. But after 1808, they couldn't control people coming into their – it's not their responsibility to control the people coming in. <clears throat> um, and again, there, there's this, it's clear that the Constitution gives the power to control the national borders to the federal government. That, that's the job of the federal government. The federal government also has the ability to regulate interstate commerce. So I would argue that the federal government has that power. So as such, the states can't also, re- can't also prevent people from coming, crossing state lines either. So there's that too. Um, but it, it just goes to show you that, you know, <coughs> conservatives are often full of it uh, when it comes to um, what they really support. Same thing at the end, you know, end of the day. You know, one of the things that I was talking about on on, on some Facebook page uh, was about these so-called voter ID laws, and this is one of my pet peeves are these so-called voter ID laws, and I call them so-called voter ID laws because there's information in there's things in these laws that are specifically not pertaining to voter IDs that are put in there to disenfranchise people, especially black voters. So the thing is, is that. By calling them voter ID laws, they've been able to rile up. They're good at Republicans are good at messaging. They rile up their base into being so angry that people who shouldn't be able to vote are voting. Um, and we've seen that the people who shouldn't be able to vote uh, are not like people who are crossing the border uh, trying to you know claim you know asylum in this country. It's people the the, the real people who quote shouldn't be voting are the people that have always have been prevented from voting via literacy tests, poll taxes, uh, um, grandfather clauses, et cetera, through all of those ways that were discussed in those tweets and more. Uh, it's always been to stop the black voter from voting. Um, but by making it into oh, those other people, then they're able to hide the other issues in the laws that, you know, that they, that they want to implement that actually does prevent legal people, legal voters from voting. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and call this an end of this week's episode. Um, you know, I think we've covered uh, the, the, the brief uh, covering of the history of racism as retold in those tweets. If you do want to see those tweets, I have them on facebook.com slash liberal Dan. Uh, so you can head over there and, and retweet or reshare that post. Uh, it's a link to, to the other person's post who, to, who did, took all the screenshots. Um, so you can find those there. You can find that other uh, post as well uh, that I did talk about last week, the one uh, basically showing that uh, crime is a social construct um, and plenty of other stuff on liberaldan.com or, or facebook.com slash liberaldan, liberaldan.com as well. Uh, but again, if you liked the show, you liked what you heard, Make sure to please listen uh, every week. Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Central. I am giving advance warning in two weeks. July 7th, I will not be doing a show. Maybe I'll do it the day afterwards. I'm not sure. Uh, but that is my anniversary, so my wife takes precedence. Uh, so 
Other than that, every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Central, blogtalkradio.com slash Dan. Please make sure if you can't afford to, to uh, support the Patreon, uh, patreon.liberaldan.com, to go and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. YouTube.liberaldan.com or YouTube.com slash LiberalDanRadio. Until next Wednesday, Dan's in the room with LiberalDanRadio. Off to the left, that's right. Yeah.